I apologize for drinking water. I have to tell the musicians to start choosing songs I don't particularly like. So I don't sing right before I have to get up here. My mouth's all dry. Um, Please join me in the reading. Uh, We're in Joshua chapter 5 as we make our way through Joshua. And if you, you haven't been here or if you've come off and on, we're not going verse by verse through the book of Joshua. That would take quite a long time. But we are covering some of the major themes Uh, present there. And tonight is a really interesting uh, text uh, for a number of reasons. Um, And I titled it Faith, Unity, and Holiness about a week and a half ago when I just had an outline written. And since that, and since then, and studying and some of the things I think the Lord has revealed to me, um, just imagine that it's still faith, right? And the second part would be worship, and then the third part is, is just going to be question mark. So the, the actual title of the sermon tonight is going to be Faith, Worship, Question Mark. And, and I'll tell you why. This passage tonight, some of you may be familiar with it. It is a passage sometimes people will skip. Or they'll read Joshua chapter 5 and just focus on the, the last couple of verses about the beginning of the fall of Jericho. You know, this passage is difficult because... God asks the people to do something that's kind of odd. To be honest, I wanted to just move on to the miracle of the walls of Jericho and the blowing of the trumpets, and that's for next week, and we'll get to that. But as I've studied this for tonight, I'm really excited. Because even though it's kind of a weird topic and it's a little awkward, you know, I don't know that there's ever um, been a voluntary mass circumcision before. And I don't know that there will be again. But sometimes, and I thought about this, and I'm sitting there listening to that song and praising God, and I just think, you know what? Sometimes God asks us to do big, weird things that we don't know why. And and as I studied this passage, I I, I came up with too many things I wanted to share with you. And just now, before we start, before we read, I'm going to pray a, a brief prayer. And, and I don't know if this is for any one individual or specific person. But that song we just sang about getting rid of slavery and leaving it all behind is so perfect for tonight's text. And I just want you to know, this morning I preached in the morning service on the book of Second John about how much God loves us. And As we pray and as we prepare to go into the Word of God, I just want you to know tonight that God loves you. So, so much. You know, you guys, some of you who know me know I always cry, so forgive me. But man, it just hit me. In reading even this passage, which again seems kind of awkward, right? Man, God loves you so much. So, so much. And so as we go into His Word tonight, know that. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you. I thank you for Joshua. I thank you for his leadership. I thank you for his example. And I thank you that we can read this book that is thousands of years old and see perfect correlations to our life today and how much you love us and how you care for us and how you've given us ways to worship you that remind us of your goodness. Lord, hear our praise. Hear our prayers. Thank you for this truth as we go into your word. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So please tonight follow along with me. Uh, Scripture reading is going to be the first 12 verses of the book, or of the chapter, fifth chapter of Joshua. 
Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites uh, until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeth Harloth, and now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. And the Israelites had moved about in the desert forty years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died. And since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. And they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. And on the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, when camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a verse, or this is the beginning of the conquest. Everything leading up to this has been sort of setting the stage, right? Joshua has become a leader for Moses. They, they've prepared, they've, they've crossed the Jordan, they've set up a, a stones of remembrance to, to remind their generations of what God has done. And now they move forward. Sort of a bridge verse to begin the conquest, what would be the next five, six, seven chapters, and through till you get to the allotment of the land. And it says that the kings that were in Canaan and the Amorite kings were terrified. They were terrified of the Israelites. It says that all the desire to fight had left them. I mean, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Here you are a king, and especially if you were in charge of Jericho, which is, as we talked about, the southernmost kind of biggest fort in, Jerusalem, or in the south of Jerusalem, and you know this big group of people is coming, right? I mean, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But they're on the other side of the river still. You have this great natural boundary. You know it's going to take a while, right, before they can build boats or before they can build a bridge or before they can figure out how to get all of these people. We have time, we have time. And then before you know it, you hear that, oh, hey, by the way, their God dried up the river and they're already on the other side. They were terrified. And so the Lord said to Joshua, hey, they're scared. They're afraid of you. Their desire to fight has gone, and so now is the time to circumcise the men who were not circumcised in the desert. It's a big request. And in verse 5, 6, and 7, we see why. 
he, God says, hey, listen, this is a really important thing, and that these men, the older generation has died, and that these young men, and all these men of fighting age, had never gone through this, and this is very important to me, so you, Joshua, must lead the people. You must make flint knives and circumcise the people, circumcise the men. And I want to read for you, just so that we're on the same page. If you'd like, you can turn over there with me to Genesis chapter 17. This is when uh, circumcision is, is, is first explained, the covenant with Abraham and the purpose behind it. And so the reason I want to read this passage is so that we are on the same page and we all know why this is so important to God. In this passage, God is speaking to Abraham, the patriarch of the Hebrew people. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 to 14. Uh, it's on page 8 in your Bible, if you'd like to follow along. If not, just listen. This is God speaking to him. He says, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant, the covenant you are to keep. Every young male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from foreigners, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people and has broken my covenant. So God tells Abraham far, way before all of this, hey, this is a big deal. This is going to be a sign. This is going to be an outward sign that you as people can do to show that you are taking this seriously. You know, a covenant, if you're not as familiar or you're not familiar with the English word, is an agreement between two parties, right? Like marriage, a marriage covenant. God has a number of covenants in Scripture. In fact, not shockingly, there are seven covenants in Scripture, as seven is, is a biblical number that's all the way through Scripture. But there are seven, and I think these are worth studying if you've never done it. Um, we're just going to go over them briefly, but if you're ever wondering, like, how do I study the Bible? How do I read? What would be a good thing to do? Um, look up the seven covenants God makes with his people and why. Uh, they're really, really great. And, and we're just going to go over them quickly here uh, and then focus on this one especially. But just so we know, the first covenant was made with Adam and Eve in the garden. It said, care for or the steward the land. And then when they failed, there were new terms to the covenant, right? Man had to deal with thorns and thistles and women had pain in childbirth. So that was the first covenant. The second covenant was with Noah. The second covenant was the rainbow. God said, I'm never going to flood the earth again. And as a sign of my love for you, Noah, and your sons, I am going to give you this rainbow. And every time you see a rainbow, remember that I will not do this again. So the second covenant God makes is with Noah, and it's completely unconditional. He says, I'm not going to do that again. Even if you get wicked and bad, I'm not going to flood the earth again. It's another conversation for another time. The third covenant is with Abraham. But it's not just the circumcision. If you remember, he also told Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Because as you remember, Abraham, before he was Abraham, left his homeland to follow God. And God made a covenant with him. With Israel is the fourth covenant, the land covenant, which we'll get to in the second half of Joshua. The, the covenant of the land and, and how God would divide it and the reason and the promises for it. The fifth 
covenant God makes is, is also with Moses, but it's about the law, Ten Commandments, all this stuff in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. The sixth is the Davidic covenant. It's the covenant, it's a continuation of the covenant with, with Abraham, but it's, it's with King David in, in the book of 2 Samuel. And if you remember this, it's, it's when David becomes king, God tells David his line will never wash away. And that one day the Messiah will come from his very lineage. And as we know that Jesus Christ was of the tribe of Benjamin, who also David was from. And if you notice, the first six covenants are all Old Testament. <laughs> They're all Old Testament. When are we going to get to anything new, right? Well, he made one last covenant with his people. And that was through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ an unconditional covenant with his people from then on to say that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. As the song we just sang, if you believe in the grace offered by Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave and you are free. And these are the covenants of God with his people. You know, the Old Testament has a lot of them and there's a lot of back and forth about some are conditional, some are unconditional. But, but when it comes down to it, when we talk about covenant, we need to know that for us today, what we're talking about is the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and looking back at our story now in Joshua 5, the first question that kind of comes to my mind is, wh- why didn't they do this earlier? <laughs> you know, let's be honest, we're wondering why is there this whole big group of people who did not undergo this, this rite, who did not undergo th- this sacrament that is so important to God? Well, I read some stories about it, and I, re- I tried to research, and really what people are saying is, if you think about it, the people of Israel were pretty nomadic for about 40 years. They were traveling just about every day, except for on the Sabbath. And so you can imagine that you wouldn't want to be doing medical procedures while wandering through the desert. Uh, It probably wasn't as safe, and it wasn't as healthy. And so you have this whole group of people who never underwent this very, very important command from God, which makes sense. And when we read the foundations of it, we see why God did not just sort of say, hey, we'll let this one slide for this generation. Just make sure you start again, right? Well, just, 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 just make sure, you know, God said, hey, this is really important. And, and one of the things I want to point out is that when we think about covenants and when we think about God, you know, so many people think of God as this, this the old man in the sky with the beard. And when we mess up, he's, he's wagging his finger at us. You know, and when you think about a covenant, don't think about God that way, that you have all this list of things you have to do, because that's not who God is. As we're going to see, and as as we see here in the text, that God actually does these things to show his people how good he is, to give them gifts, and to lead them in a way that is the best way for them to live. See, God is not so insecure that he needs to have a contract with us. You know, he's not a landlord that that writes out all of these rules in case we bail. You know, if you're a landlord, you, you probably should have some sort of rules and stipulations so that the people don't trash your home and run away. You know, but don't think about God as a landlord. Because God, when you look at these covenants and study these covenants, <laughs> the terms God makes and the, and the stipulations that God makes in these covenants actually more often than not, fall on him, not us. Yesterday, I'm walking up, I have this hill from the tram to my house. It's awful. You think you're almost home and you have this steep hill. But I'm walking home, and it just, it was one of those sunny days where it was sunny and raining and there was a rainbow all at the same time. 
And I thought about this, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be preaching on this tomorrow. And I thought I saw this big, beautiful, vibrant rainbow. And I said, are there any terms and conditions for me to enjoy this rainbow? Certainly not. God has not said, oh, well, Sam, you're a pastor, so you get to see the rainbow. You, you're a sinner. I'm not going to allow you to see. No. God has made this rainbow for all to enjoy and to see and to know that God is good. Think of Abraham when he was traveling around the desert and when he was wandering through his life. I think oftentimes of him before bed looking up at the sky and seeing stars and just thinking about the promise God made to him. That each night he had a physical reminder of the covenant God made with him. See, God gives us covenants in these things to show us how good he is. Because you and me, as we are in our current state, we have no rights, we have no legal footing to deal with God. He is holy, he is just, and yet he comes down to reveal himself to us through these covenants. And he offers himself as the collateral. You see, it, what's great is if, if you read back about these covenants with Abraham, when he started this whole thing with the people of Israel and the descendants of Abraham, he told him all of these things about circumcision and about what he would do and all this other stuff. But you know what God did? He had Abraham take all these animals, like he would take, make a sacrifice. And what you did is he, he cut them up. It's kind of gross, but he cut them and he separated them. And it says that he cut up all these animals sort of to say, hey, we're going to make this deal. And, and what would happen in the ancient world is a person, when they were making a deal, if you and I were making a deal, we would say, okay, we're going to have this goat and we're going to cut it up and, and I'm going to walk through the body and the blood of the goat. Right? I'm going to walk through the body and the blood of the goat and if I break this deal, the blood will be on me. The, the fault will be on me. This is the symbolism here. And so Abraham and God are making a covenant and this is the in Genesis 15, if you want to read about it later. Abraham and God are making a covenant. And so Abraham prepares all these things, and you would think that Abraham should walk through. Abraham should walk through, and God will say, okay, now you know, if you fail, it's not going to work out for you. But it says that God, the Spirit of the Lord, came upon him, and Abraham fell off into a deep sleep. And that the presence of the Lord, it was a burning lamp, but the presence of the Lord actually walked through the animals. And so God goes to Abraham and basically says to him, Hey, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise to you that your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that you will have this land flowing with milk and honey for your descendants for all of time. And if you don't do it, and if you mess up, and if you're not perfect, you know what? I'll take the blame. That's how much I love you. It's unbelievable. And so when God asks Joshua and says, hey, Joshua, you should probably um, take these Israelites, take these men, and circumcise them to remind them of this. Because this is a big deal to God. These are his people whom he loves, who he has put himself on the line for, as we see later on with Jesus, thousands of years later, that Jesus then comes down as a man and dies for us. That God puts himself as the collateral in our covenant. And the reason we see is in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. So after they go through this and, and, and all the men are healed, 
God tells them why. Notice he doesn't say this beforehand. He says it afterwards. God asks them to do something that's a little bit of a stretch. He asks them to do something that's a little bit awkward, and then he says, let me tell you why. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now, if English isn't your first language or you're not as familiar, um, again, that word reproach is kind of a weird one. Uh, The Hebrew word, and I actually looked this up before just to make sure, can also be translated as reproach or shame or guilt. It's like a dark spot. It's like a, a bad past. It's something you're ashamed of. And God said, hey, listen, the reason we did this, the reason we went through this, this covenant and I reminded you of how much I love you is so that you can wipe away the shame and the reproach of being slaves for generations. So you no longer have to characterize yourself as those who are oppressed. So you no longer have to characterize yourself who are those who are under a yoke of slavery. He says, don't dwell on the time of slavery. Don't dwell on the oppression of the Egyptians. He says, move on. You are my people, and this is your land, and I will give it to you. And I will take it from those who have rejected me. And remember, the, the, the Canaanites and the, and the Amorites, as we've talked about before, were not just sort of living to let live. They were objectively evil people. And God says they do not deserve this land. The covenants of God are a blessing to us. For us to be reminded of who God is and how much God loves us. And we too, through the covenant of Jesus Christ, are no longer slaves. So then what's our response to be? Well, we see it. What do they do? After this, what do they do? They worship. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. And the day after that Passover, the very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. See, these are people, as we've talked about, that did not have a home. And when they got home, the Lord said, It's time to worship. It's time to remember the Passover. And if you remember the Passover, uh, that was the last straw for them getting out of Egypt. It's in Exodus chapter 12, if you want to look it up. But they go from this idea of God asked them to do something kind of hard. They're in a position where they have to have faith. And then God go, and, and then they go to a place of worship. They're being called to unity and holiness in worship together on the eve of this great task they have before them. And in the coming weeks, next week, we're going to talk about the fall of Jericho. I mean, they go into battle with trumpets. <laughs> you want to talk about a big faith ask. You're all excited. You're all excited to go into battle, that God has done all of these things, and you're ready to take the land, and then God says to you, hey, go up to the walls of Jericho with trumpets and walk around it seven days in a row. God, that's insane. No, it's not. Trust me. And so when we look at this passage, when we look at this idea of faith and what God is doing among his people— we see that the reason God asks us to do things, the reason that God asks us and and commands certain things is for a very important reason. In the Old Testament, they had these two sacraments. They had this circumcision and the Passover. And many of us may know Jewish people. They still, to this day, celebrate and and practice these things. I mean, the Passover is every year. 
And, and, and every Jewish boy is circumcised. These are very holy, very special things to the Jewish and the Israelite people. And now today, though, through the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we have similar sacraments, don't we? See, back then, the covenant with God was was represented through circumcision. Today, John the Baptist and Jesus instituted a new sacrament. Baptism. Baptism is a sign, is an outward sign that we do as believers, that once we believe, we then are baptized, or confirming our baptism as a baby, (laughs) we then are confirming, and we are moving on, and we are moving away with the old, and moving forward in the glorious light of Jesus Christ. So in the same way the Israelites, once they were circumcised, had Passover, so that they would get rid of the shame of their past. We now, as Christians, have the sacrament of baptism. You have been baptized, and you now must move on, away from the old, away from the shame, and away from the reproach. In the same way it was used to start a new life in the Old Testament, baptism is our physical sign that we are called out of slavery. And if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to look into it, think about it. If you've never been baptized or if, you've never, if you were baptized as a baby and never confirmed your adult baptism or anything, I, I just want to let you know it's an option. You know, in three weeks, we'll have another fellowship dinner night at the lake. We could make it a baptism celebration if you've never been baptized. Because Jesus and John the Baptist, when they came, said, hey, listen, once you repent, once you believe, once you are done with your old life and you are dead to the sin and you no longer want to be a slave to the junk from your past... Be baptized. See, the physical act of of going in water or having water sprinkled doesn't actually do anything. It represents that you are free from slavery. And so if you haven't been baptized, just so you know, it's an option. Talk to me. And then what? They worshiped. We don't celebrate the Passover. What do we do? We take communion. See, in the Old Testament, they took the Passover every year. And now, Jesus, when he came, he said, let me tell you guys, at the Passover, by the way, the Last Supper, Passover meal, at Passover, he said, hey, let me tell you the sign of the new covenant I'm going to make with you. You don't have to worry about Passover anymore. If you believe in me, repent repent from your sin and be baptized, and remember my sacrifice through the blood and the wine. Both are signs of God's covenant with us. And both are a big deal to God. And this is what's so great. In the same way God stepped through the the bodies of the animals with Abraham and put the collateral on us, he does the same thing with us. God already did it. I love talking. Some of you guys know I'm a youth pastor. I work with the youth, and I've worked with youth since I was 18 years old talking about Jesus. And I love talking with young men and young women about this because they always say, well, what if, what if God doesn't forgive me? What if I've done something so evil and so bad? And, and I say, God already did it. <laughs> Jesus already died on the cross and was resurrected for your sins. So, so what you need to understand is that it's up to you to accept it. It's up for you to accept it, to be baptized, to repent, and then to remember God's sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice through communion. We must choose to believe and walk in his ways as Jesus pursues us. We are called to the same sacraments and worship as the Israelites. They're just different now. 
And if you look at the second reading we had tonight, Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and a great storm comes. And they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, aren't you afraid? And Jesus gets up, tells the wind and the waves to be quiet. And he says, why do you have such little faith? Why is this a struggle for you? Or, Or think about the Apostle Peter in Matthew 14, when Jesus walks on water, and he says, hey, Peter, come on out. He says, Peter does it. And then he starts sinking when he starts worrying. And he says, why do you doubt, Peter? See, when we look at the Israelites, when I look at Joshua, when I look at this text, I see a people going forward in faith that is trusting the Lord, the purpose and the promises of God, and trusting that he has what's best for them. Even though they're not sure. God is asking them to do something crazy. And they just do it. And then God says, oh, here's why. For us, for you, do you trust that what tomorrow brings will be good, even if it doesn't seem like it now? Do you trust that what the Lord is going to take you into, even if you feel like you're in a terrible storm, that he can calm it? You know, I believe these sacraments gave the people of Israel great confidence. To say, we can do anything. God is with us. Where do you need confidence? Remember the promises of God. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptismal vows, if you were baptized. Remember each time we take communion, which we will do next week, what God put on the line for you. And as I said before, what's so amazing about covenants, what's so amazing about God is that he has already done it. And you are free to move forward. You are free to live your life. You are free to be the person God has made you to be and no longer be a slave to sin. God wants us to wipe away the reproach of our past. Get rid of it. Don't dwell on it. Sure, we have scars. Sure, there's pain. Sure, there's still questions. But God has promised us through his sacraments that we are free. We are his sons and his daughters. We spend so much time worrying about the future and the what-ifs. What if we spent that time looking back and remembering how good God has been to us? Remembering the promises he's fulfilled in our life and using that to encourage us to go forward with confidence. Because Joshua asked the impossible of his people and they did it. I mean, all you have to do is put yourself in their shoes and then the order comes down and you realize what's about to happen and you think, I don't know if I want to do that. But they do. And they worship. And they go forward with confidence. God asks the impossible of his people in this book over and over and we're going to see it in the coming weeks. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus asked the impossible of his disciples. He told Peter to get out and walk on water. He told his disciples, don't worry about a storm, who cares? God has made an eternal covenant with you. Think about that. The God of the universe has made an eternal, not a temporary, not a conditional, an unconditional eternal covenant with you through your baptism or your confirmation. Whatever it is, if you have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has made an everlasting covenant with you. 
And through these sacraments, through baptism, through communion, we honor and remember it, just as the people of Israel did through circumcision and Passover. So I encourage you to be free. Walk in the ways of God. Because there will be a time when you need really big faith. (laughs) There will be a time when God asks you to do something crazy. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and trying to walk in the ways, trust me, it's going to happen. Be faithful. God is going to ask you to do something that you don't think you can at some point. Maybe he already has, maybe he will again. He's going to. You look through Scripture, when people are are faithful and people are loving God, he asks them to do big things. But God is always there with us, always. Always. In the same way he is with the Israelites, in the same way he asked them to do this crazy thing in Joshua 5, he is with us and asking us to trust him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you for Joshua. I thank you for this story. Lord, I pray that each of us in this room would rest on the eternal covenant that you have made with us that we would be free from sin, that we would be free from the reproach of our past, whether it's our doing or the doing of another. Lord, we are free. And you love us. As your sons and your daughters, you love us. And so, Lord, tonight we rest in the covenant that you have made, the eternal covenant through the cross of Jesus Christ, and we worship you. Let us remember the vows we have made. Let us remember the promises we have stood and said. And Lord, if we have not in this room, if there's anyone here who has not made a commitment to you or been baptized, Lord, I pray that you would grab hold of their heart and never let it go. And Lord, for those of us who have forgotten what it feels like when you grab hold of our hearts, remind us. Grab hold of our hearts and never let us go, Lord. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for your covenants. Thank you for your promises that though we may stumble and fall, though we may trip and miss the mark, we are forgiven, and you love us. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, musicians uh, back up as as we prepare to sing a few songs, and use this time as a time uh, to reflect and, and think about who God is and and the covenant he's made with you.